It's uh, you live in the new Hollywood. You know? Apparently, you really do. Apparently. <laughs> what's it like? What's it like to live at the center of entertainment in Atlanta? Uh, you know, I wish, uh, you know, I wish I could say that it's radically altered this, uh, city, but honestly, you know, you, you LA types, you come yeah. down here, you, you complain about our weed, you complain about the <laughs> restaurants, and then once you're done filming, you just fly back out. So, well, uh, I don't know, man. We're used to very exceptional weed. Man, I hope that I can <laughs> leave behind this podunk town of Los Angeles and get out to Atlanta, Georgia, where, where all the <laughs> entertainment stuff is really happening. Someday. The real beating cultural heart of America. Uh-huh. All I mean, right, look, well, well driver. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Jack Allison, and I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. And today we're joined by Michael Saba. Um, Michael is a XRT um, editor who's also uh, worked for uh, CNN. Um, and so we have an uh, agent for um, Putin and mm-hmm. an agent for Ted Turner on the show. Uh, two, <laughs> yeah. two people, yeah, yeah. two men we respect um, greatly, as you, if you've listened to our past episodes. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Uh, well, that's, I got to say, fellas, this is not even the greatest sin I've ever committed. And I'm glad I get to do kind of like the left podcast uh, listening tour now, because something I really need to get off my chest is that uh, you may need to fact check me on this. But I believe that back in late 2009, early 2010, I was uh, the first ever print write-up for Lin-Manuel Miranda and his, at the time, Hamilton mixtape project. <laughs> Wait a second. And I, I just you I wondered have a lot myself. to atone for. Now, <laughs> now I do believe you're a Russian agent. Yeah. <laughs> Putin's gone too far this time. Yeah, yeah. I listen, fellas. You know, I was I was a young, dumb, 23 year old. I grew up with hip hop, and I'm hearing this. All right, this guy, he's performing in front of Obama about his hip hop mixtape about American history. Like, yeah, it's a little schoolhouse rock, but his heart is in the right place. And you know, as it turned out, I I, I wake up in a cold sweat uh, in the middle of every night, thinking wow. to myself that maybe things could have turned out differently if I had just gone another way. So we're talking to the man responsible for both Lin-Manuel Miranda and Donald Trump winning the presidency. <laughs> Pretty much, man, and, man, and yeah. It's hard to tell which is worse, uh, to be <laughs> So, Michael, uh, just want to say thank you so much for reaching out to us because you wanted to talk to us because you, as a number of people are, are just kind of um, sick of us being slowly pushed to war by a bunch of deranged divorced dads on Twitter. <laughs> that's basically the email you sent me, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty damn good way of putting it. I mean, um, you know, I would say that like we on the left need to start having a serious conversation about this and recognize it for what it is, like what's going on right now. There is a propaganda campaign uh, that various interests are pushing for various reasons, and the intent is to get us on a more aggressive hawkish stance towards Russia. And, you know, both of our countries, we're both fighting proxy wars now in Eastern Europe and in the Middle East. And like, you know, it's not unimaginable that some really bad shit could happen from this. And so I think, you know, we need to start getting our heads right about this issue. Yeah, I I agree. Like, this is something that has really, you know, bothered me from even going back to Hillary Clinton's campaign, because she would talk basically a lot of shit about Russia, and no one really check it, everybody kind of responded like a David Brooks or one of those assholes <laughs> would respond it's like, yeah, well, we gotta be tough on them, you know? They're making fun of us. They're making us look like a bitch out there. And, you know, <laughs> Hillary Clinton is gonna, you know, show, make them respect our name, you know? All of them become, like, fucking characters from The Wire mm-hmm. as soon as they can <laughs> pretend to send, you know, other uh, other people's children out to go die. And so, like, 
and it's been wave after wave of quote unquote revelations about this stuff. And it just, it always, it never really amounts to anything. Like I, st- I, every once in a while, I'll just ask people, all right, so what actually happened? What is the theory? What do you think Russia did that changed our election? Don't use euphemism, just explain it. And I never really get good answers. It's like, well, this guy, this rich guy met this rich guy and one of the rich guys was Russian. Or it's like, I guess what happened, and I've been trying to figure it out myself too, is that at the worst, worst possible reading, the Trump campaign was in contact with someone in Russia who bought a lot of ads on the website Facebook. Uh, is about what it amounts to. Is am I wrong yeah. about that? Well, yeah, sixty percent of which were taken out after the twenty sixteen election. Like, let's not forget that fact. Right. Gotcha. So, and that, that's always the thing that those things always like slip through the cracks. It's mm-hmm. like you always have the big headline, but then when you ever you dive in, it's like nothing. But you can't blame people like normal people for not reading like ten stories a week very carefully about Russia. All they see is Russia did this, Russia did that. And so you can't really blame them for kind of buying into well, it. Well, hold on, L. They also talk about Stormy Daniels. Yeah, <laughs> okay. that is true. That is true. It's Another Russia very important and Stormy issue. Daniels. Yeah. So, so check yours. It's really interesting to me to see all of these liberals adapt a real politic that the very same people who raised me hated about, about the Republicans, especially, yes. you know, yes. growing up, I, I, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, uh, it's always been very, very uh, liberal in ter- and, you know, liberals used to at least have some sort of uh, sense of anti-war to them. They would turn the other way when Clinton would, you know, intervene in, in Yugoslavia, but the idea of an actual full-blown war was something that appalled them. And something very strange happened, I think, during the uh, Obama's presidency where Democrats just accepted the fact that we will be at war forever. And we will always be fighting somebody, and that's just how it is. And a Democrat can't stop it, a Republican can't stop it. It's part of our empire, and just we better just accept it and focus on social issues. Well, and it was it was pure tribalism too. It was okay, you know, Obama is this responsible, professorial guy. We trust him as kind of this like benevolent uh, unitary executive. Like even if we think some of this stuff is pretty creepy, he's a smart guy. So you know, we put our trust in him. And yeah, we just totally abandoned the larger we, you know, us in the progressive left, just abandoned our values and just kind of fell in line. But like, yeah, to your larger point, it's really kind of uh, maddening to see the way supposed liberals and progressives have just kind of you know, totally just falling in line behind these spooks, FBA, NSA, you know, CIA. Like I I had, you know, I think the reason I reached out to you guys and the reason I felt so fired up about this issue is because I kind of had a they live moment one morning where I put the glasses on and I looked around me and it's all of a sudden like, why do all my lib friends and half of Twitter suddenly sound like Mike Cernovich? You know, they're like (laughs) Pizzagate conspiracists all of a sudden. Like, how did this happen? How did we get here? Well, it's, it's worth examining. So it's like, so this story, like, so if you had talked to people like the week or even two weeks, I mean, I'd say a month after the election of Donald Trump, you wouldn't hear a word about Russia. All you would hear about was James Comey or be, or that, or the deplorables, how bad they are. Or you wouldn't hear anything about Russia and did anything, had anything to do with this. Like nobody was really talking about well, that. Hillary was immediately talking about Russia, but I think it took a few weeks for the narrative to totally settle in. 
No, no, actually, I, I, um, uh, Glenn Greenwell is pointing out that immediately she was just talking about James Comey. She was pissed off at him. Yeah, and Comey was, was the big first uh, blame. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, we, we were supposed to hate him for putting his thumb on the election for Trump, but now he is, you know, savior of democracy and the last guardian of the republic. It's really, I, it's hard to keep straight sometimes. It's, it's like, I, I guess I'm happy that he's now beloved by liberals because... Uh, uh, I can do the opposite thing and hate him and feel okay about that. <laughs> when he was hated by liberals, I was like, am I wrong about this? Because I sure fucking hate this guy. Actually, <laughs> FBI, kind of cool a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's actually very disconcerting to see liberals do this pro-law enforcement move. You know, especially with the March With Our Lives uh, movement over the last few weeks. You've seen uh, a push for more cops in school, uh, you know, more more militarized police, all to stop gun violence. And, and I think that we are seeing a, a calcification of these once liberal people. They are, they are becoming authoritarians. And a lot of it does stem from the anti-Russia hysteria that really, if you think about it, is no different than, say, what David Brock has been doing for the last three years, hiring trolls to harass the shit out of people online. Yeah, That's all Russia... I do think it is different because, like, there's no, like, end goal here. Like, that that's really the thing that really bothers me. It's like, if you go, if if they fi- we found out everything they said was true, like, even their worst case scenario, Donald Trump is still going to be president. Sure. And, and, like, they, they think that they'll be able to impeach Trump. Fine. And Mike Pence will be president. And that's probably actually worse. Like, Hillary Clinton isn't going to become president, but you're still playing with something very, very dangerous because um, you just John Bolton, um, he would probably like to go to war with Russia. Um, and he's now in the Trump administration. Like, he would be fine with that. Well, or, who, do, who doesn't want John Bolton want to go to war with? Exactly. I mean, the, the better he, question, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like got a, his dick is a gun. I mean, he's a violent <laughs> man. It, it is surreal to me that it is it is a known fact that basically fifty percent of Twitter and all and all of these like verified political accounts are connected to some sort of like a alphabet agency or foreign uh, you know spy service like half of Twitter I'm pretty sure is spies <laughs> so there's this weird I, I thing won't, where I won't go so far as to say that that's a known fact I just I'm, want okay. that on the record All right. that I'm, I'm 50% being... of Twitter is not uh, Russian spies no I'm not talking about Russian spies I'm talking about the fact that like everybody spies on everybody everybody trolls everyone trolling is sure. now a politicized technique and so considering the fact that our government does this to other countries and every government does this to every country why is Russia sending a few trolls uh uh, to attack the, uh, you know, or to, to fuck with people during the election any different than what has been going on for the last 20 years. That's what I don't understand. I, I, I also agree with Leather that I'm like, I don't know what the end goal is here. Like, even right. if Trump wasn't president, even if Trump was not president, um, and, and the only reason why everyone is so upset about this is because he is president, but if you had a president who was inclined to do what, you know, the liberal consensus in the country wanted them to do, what is that consensus? Do we want to go to war with Russia? Do we want to, like, impose, like, do we want, like, Putin to be punished or something? What do liberals want from Russia? This is the really interesting part for me. And, you know, a lot of what I'm about to say is informed by my experience living in Moscow, uh, working for Rio Novosti and RT for a year and a half, two years. Um, You know, I think that this Russian meddling conspiracy theory, uh, I think it has become for liberals and centrists basically what 
the Obama birth certificate conspiracy was for the Tea Party and the reactionary mm, right. right right after the election. And uh, so, like, what what is the purpose of the conspiracy theory? There is no purpose. It's it's a way to make sense of the break in reality that's right. just happened. You know, for the conservatives who just saw Obama elected, they thought, "What's happening to this country? This isn't the country I grew up in." You know, what's going on here? This very, for my money, very supposed like far left progressive guy. You know, black funny sounding name. He got elected. Like, what's going on in this country? So they come up with the shadowy conspiracy theory about the legitimacy of the president. And what are we doing right now? We're doing the same damn thing. And it cuts to the same issue, the legitimacy of the president, because it's a way to look at that and say, "Mm, see, this isn't the America I know. There's something wrong or incorrect about this. You know, like this, this is America doesn't make sense now. Right. America, of course, is good. And it is the ideal that I've always thought it was. So there must be cheating. Something was broken here. It's not that this whole system is fucked and has been fucked mm-hmm. forever. So, uh, so so, to that end, so Michael, when you sent your email to me, you told me that you have written for <coughs> RT and CNN. And there's been a lot of talk of RT uh, recently, usually, you know, with a lot of fear mongering about oh, RT, yeah. which anybody who actually takes the time to watch it would realize is pretty silly. It's like, it's just a network. Like, they got has, Larry King. They got Larry yeah. King they, on they it. Like, Larry they King got Jesse dodges. Ventura. They got it Disney. is so funny how, like, Everyone is so mad at everyone on RT, but no one ever talks about how Larry King is on RT. He just like right. dodges it entirely for some reason, but whatever. And so, and so uh, I want you. So you used to work for RT, and you told me a little bit about your experience working there versus working for CNN. So why don't you tell our listeners what it's like to work for RT versus working for CNN, which is the good network. Right, right. Yeah. Well, so let, let me let, let me tee up this story a little bit. So in uh, in mid 2012, I had been working as a web producer at CNN for close to two years. Um, now, the entire time I had been working there, uh, because of this delightful thing we have in Georgia, all of the wonderful employment laws in Georgia being a right to work state, I had been a full time contractor at CNN for those entire two years, which means I was making a pretty crappy hourly wage, like not much better than fast food or retail and, you know, no benefits no healthcare, no 401k, no paid time off. Like I was pretty much just like at that company's mercy. And no matter how much I begged my manager or, you know, like how much good work I produced, it was never like, oh, we just don't have the budget for it this time, Mike, you know, but you're first on the list. Don't worry. Like promised up and down that eventually they were going to, you know, give me what I deserved. And past a certain point, it was like, all right, you know, this, this, these people are fucking around. Like they're treating me like shit. I got to see where my options lie elsewhere. And so I had had a friend uh, who, a friend of a friend who was teaching English in Russia. Russia at the time. And uh, he knew that, uh, you know, the uh, this, these companies, Rio Novosti and RT, which are kind of this, uh, at the time, uh, Rio Novosti has closed down now, but they were like this unified kind of state news agency. Rio Novosti was like a BBC type of operation and RT was more Russia's spin on like cable news. Um, but both, you know, the intent of both was let's produce English language news that paints Russia in a positive light and talks about Russian issues. So, you know, I did the interview for the, for the job and they they liked me. They uh, offered me a, you know, a pretty substantial pay raise over what I was making benefits. Um, you know, it, it comes down to class shit in a lot of ways, you know, like CNN was treating me like shit and RT, uh, you know, they said, hey, we'll treat you like an actual professional and give you a salary and, you know, dignity and respect. And it was like, hell yeah, I'll go have an adventure in Moscow for a year. Like, that sounds great. Um, so, yeah. And so that kind of led to the year and a half I would spend uh, working basically uh, doing web editing, assigning stories, copy editing, publishing, and doing a little bit of writing myself for uh, the Rio Novosti and the RT websites. 
Um, but you know, one thing I will say before I continue any further, and this is the first time I'm ever going to say this, but I feel like I'm in a safe space. So I, I'm going to divulge this. But the real reason I ended up uh, going to Russia was not my AP Russian literature course in high school or the year <laughs> I spent learning the language. It was uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 and specifically yeah. the, the ending of Metal yeah. Gear Solid 3. Okay. Well, there you it, go. Hideo Kojima. So you had to go. You had to go to find the boss. Yes, I, I, I was defecting to the Soviet Union to uncover the deeper conspiracy. Pretty okay. much. Pretty yeah. much. This is this is the this... first time we've had Revolver Ocelot on the show. It's very... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, living and working in Moscow. Uh, you know, there was. It's a very old city. There's a lot of beautiful history there. I saw a lot of cool stuff. But at the same time, you know, what I saw going on there was like, Jesus, this place is really struggling. There's drug addiction. You know, alcoholism is rampant. It's like so rampant that it's just normal. Nobody even talks about it. Uh, you know, health and life expectancy is terrible here. Like even in a rich city like Moscow, it's like there's a super clear divide between the haves and the have nots. Like I could see that like, wow, you know, like the fall of the Soviet Union really fucked this country up and this place is still struggling. Um, but for like RT and Rio Novosti itself, I was treated very well, you know, like they, I was open about the fact, you know, we talked about this with like my manager and some of the other uh, senior staffers there. It was like, you know, what are your politics? Why did you come here? When I was like, I'm a pretty lefty guy, but you know, I just appreciate this, you know, your willingness to publish alternative viewpoints and, you know, buck consensus and give your viewers an alternate, uh, you know, voices outside the mainstream basically. And they were like, cool, you know, just produce good work for us. And, uh, you know, as long as it's in line with our editorial voice, you know, we'll let you figure out what stories you want to assign to your writers and what kind of copy you want to produce. Like I was given a lot of leeway, a lot of trust, a lot of respect, basically, you know, like, and in the, the five, five to six years I'd been working as a journalist at the time, like I, I had never gotten that kind of treatment before. So that kind of really, I don't know, it like opened my eyes a little bit. It's like, you know, uh, I think we have all these notions about how Russians are, what kind of people they are, but honestly, I found them to be pretty nice pretty pleasant people. Like Russia has its own problems in terms of like racism and economic inequality and racial tension and all that. But like, you know, I, I had a I had a pretty good time, all things considered. Now do you think it's possible they were treating you so well, uh um, just to groom you for being a, a deep cover plant ready to be activated at some sort of code phrase or something like that? Yeah, I think I think it's entirely uh, it's entirely possible. You know, uh, I there were not a ton of Americans there. Weirdly enough, it was mostly Brits. Most of the English language people they had working there were Brits, or a couple from Australia. Um, but actual Americans were pretty few and far between. So I did always find that odd, and they always had a lot of questions about you know what are things like in America. You know, how are what are, what's what's the political system like there? And that's another thing. That's another thing. Like even the most high ranking people at RT, they didn't have a particularly sophisticated understanding of how like American politics works. So this really? notion that they're like sophisticated political masterminds who have like gamed the system and are manipulating us behind the scenes, like it's just bullshit. Like they didn't know about this concept of like, you know, the purple states and they didn't understand like the, <laughs> right. the how the three branches of government worked or anything right. like that. Like they understood about as much as, you know, the average American understands about the Russian Duma, you know? The, the, the thing is that there that that there may have been an influence campaign, but that influence campaign was extremely stupid and never should have worked. <laughs> like, like the fact that that influence campaign 
was in any way successful or is even considered to be in any way successful is really an indictment of like the campaign that someone ran. Well, and, and it is an indictment on Silicon Valley for not doing their fucking jobs oh, at all. I know. I mean, come on. They took like five Facebook ads. Like what? Like I, I as much as we hate uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, it, it, while we're still free to say that before he's able to, you know, buy us, <laughs> buy and sell us uh, between Amazon. I think Zuckerberg's done now. I think Cambridge Analytica is, is going to do uh, our old friend Mark Zuckerberg in. And it's God, very funny. I hope so. Well, it's funny because it's just the same shit Zuckerberg's always been doing. Well, but and, and so that's what's so funny about it is that it's like Cambridge Analytica. Everyone is so up in arms about Cambridge Analytica, but every single app you have ever interacted with on Facebook does all the same shit that Cambridge Analytica yes. did. Like yes. anytime you like Bones on like the TV show Bones on Facebook, you're like giving out all that information. That's like the only thing Facebook is for. Yes. That's all it is for. <laughs> That's solely what it exists for. And so I am happy. Like I can't shame people for not getting woke about Facebook early enough, but I'm also like you know that is what this business was from right. the beginning. Yeah, I, I do. I know. I I do shame people because what they think like there's nothing else that Facebook monetizes except your information. Like there, like I'm sure people have been talking about this for years. It's just that this they were using your information not to track you, not to try to force products on you that you don't need, but to you know give Trump like stats and information that he probably he used to find out that you know the shittiest old people on facebook to uh target ads for it's like that's <laughs> it like that's all that happened like if you have any like you already unfriended all those people who like trump on your facebook so cambridge <laughs> Analytica probably didn't do anything with your data yeah and that's the um you know this all this revulsion over you know what cambridge analytica did and the use of facebook to try to sway the election like i think people don't really understand that like that that's marketing that's just <laughs> digital marketing now that's what these right. tech companies do that's what the model is there's a huge amount of data and metadata and personal information that's collected and stored by third party brokers not even the platforms themselves but like sure. third party brokers that connect all the data that leaks onto the internet and is then resold in various forums and it's all with the intention of segmenting an audience and figuring out like what's the small segment that I can deliver this really effective targeted message to mm -hmm. to persuade them to to do something and and, and you know whether that's buy a product or vote or not vote. Yeah, so like if the, it came out that they had done this for Hillary or Obama or they the did or, Obama they did, did yeah do it. exactly that's exactly like what they credit, that's what they credit his success for like uh, in, in two thousand eight they're like Obama Obama brilliantly like. Made a Facebook app that took everyone's information. Well, that was the like, ben, that was the Ben Rhodes scandal, right? Where he's like, "We have everything on everyone," and we created our feedback loop, and there was, everyone got mad at him for like a week. Remember? Yeah. I don't know. Or or the Last Jedi or anything else. Nobody really complains. It's because they can. But this is you know the new thing that they can put all their blame on. Right now, instead of Russia, well, it was Cambridge Analytica. Uh, before that, it was Comey. The next week, it's going to be something else. And I, like what, I, what I've seen is a lot of liberals intimating that they think that Cambridge Analytica and Russia are like tied together. Yes, yeah. like, just instantly, it just instantly got used by Russia. It got the just NRA swept too. up. Yeah, uh, 
I've read the NRA and Russia are working together, which is very funny, as if the NRA just didn't suck shit on and its to own. to be honest with you, it's like maybe fucking Cambridge Analytica did work with all these organizations, but Cambridge Analytica is like the same as any other fucking web marketing firm. It's the right. same thing. There's a million of these places. Like, every, it's not just Facebook. Like, every website that you go to mm-hmm. is trying to eke out every little bit of information about you and sell that. That's how the internet works now. You should, that's why we shouldn't be using our real names on this motherfucker anymore. <laughs> My, Michael, I want to ask you about censorship at CNN and censorship at RT. Yes. What, oh, what yeah. What was it like oh, at both yeah. of these companies? How much freedom did you have at both of these companies? What got censored where? And uh, where did, you know? Because I'm sure you had to deal with it in both places. Now, did you yeah. open and start every morning with a pledge to Putin? That's really <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I actually, I, I, like, no, I didn't meet him, like, meet him, but I was there when he came to, like, tour the, the new RT offices and everything. I, they had a, it was real Soviet. I, you know, they had us all, like, line out up front, and then, you know, the Putin's <laughs> wow. limo fold up, and he, like, walked up and inspected all of us, and then walked in and inspected the studio. A lot shorter than I thought he would be. Not a very intimidating man in person. You know, Stalin um, was also, like, five foot six yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um anyway to answer your question so uh at rt i was never censored i was they let me do whatever i wanted man it was kind of scandalous because i was only like 26 years old at the time and it's like you guys are spending how many millions of dollars and you're just like kind of letting me run your website like cool i guess it's a good thing i'm trustworthy (laughs) i suppose because if i was a bad actor you know maybe i could do bad shit but i nobody ever you know you know, maybe there was like, uh, we got to correct this story because it got updated. So you got to change X, Y, and Z. But nobody was ever like, oh, no, you can't take this editorial line or you can't do this or that. We're gotta ki- we got to kill this story. Like nobody ever, you know, messed with uh, any of the work I did at RT. That was my experience. CNN was a very, very uh, different uh, time. Uh, you know, I got to experience the joy of uh, having a story uh, pulled. Uh, you know, I basically wrote about a, a Brigham Young student who had been, you know, kicked out of the school for being gay. Um, and so I like shown a spotlight on that and, you know, bring them young. Of course, they had their like lawyer send a threatening email, you know, we're going to sue CNN. And so CNN immediately just caved, you know, they pulled the huh. article down and they, I had to come in and talk to standards and practices. And they were all like, you know, it, it, like they were, they were interrogating me. Like I was the bad guy. Like huh. they weren't trying to protect their writer, the person who's like publishing on their platform. Like I was treated as a liability to the company. And, you know, it was only after I proved that like, yeah, I called them and emailed them asking them for comment and they never got back to me. So, you know, that's what I ran in the story, uh, you know, then finally, like after like a couple days, they put it back up when it became clear that like they were bullshit. Uh, so that, that irked me a little bit, but then the yeah. thing that actually like pushed me right over the edge was, um, this, and this was kind of one of my motivating factors, which is why I said, all right, fuck CNN, I'm going to go work for the Russians was that <laughs> I, had, I had, um, I had written a story. Uh, about Facebook, funny enough. And uh, I had uh, I had deleted my Facebook recently. I'm like a little bit of a social media refusenik. So like the story I had basically written was kind of like a little bit of an extensive feature looking at like, you know, here's why social media can be bad for you. It can have these bad effects on your mental health. Here's interviews with these health professionals who talk about, you know, why it might be bad for people with depression, depressive or anxious tendencies. And, you know, just to kind of look about like why social media maybe is not so great. Um, They never even ran it in the first place. I had to go through like three rounds of conversations with uh, standards and practices. Uh, And then, you know, finally they said, no, I'm sorry, you know, it's just too, you know, we're not going to run it because it's too much like if somebody was like, had a bad, wanted to give a bad review of the product and wanted to exploit a platform because they had a shitty flight and they wanted to give Delta a bad review. And that was their justification for it. Uh, But what I had heard later was that CNN had uh, business partnerships with Facebook, basically, basically around advertising and story promotion. And that uh, if my story had been seen as being like negative towards Facebook in any way, it would have been a a violation of that partnership. Wow. agreement so that was why the story got killed uh that's 
kind of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, you know, say corporate censorship? Well, I sometimes wonder if the obsession with Russia does come from like a weird deferred guilt from men like Jeff Zucker and people mm. who essentially took the cable news media and after O.J. Simpson ratcheted up to such an extreme that only celebrity mattered, only pop, like poptimism mattered, only, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like very, very fluffy human interest stories mixed with random like Nancy Grace blood and gut shit mattered. And I think that did create an environment that let Trump in more than anything else. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I actually said this like on Twitter um, a couple of days ago. And it's like the reason why this Russian na- narrative is so big, at least for the media, is it because it absolves CNN for and all the other media companies for basically giving Donald Trump billions of dollars of free advertisement right. while Tr- ignoring uh, Bernie Sanders' entire campaign. It's like before this Russian era came about, people were starting to kind of on to the fact that, wait a minute, CNN, MSNBC, ABC News, CBS, all of them are really to blame for hyping Donald Trump up so much because he was good for ratings and then only yes. pulling back when it was after he won the Republican nomination, right. when it was probably so, too late. What do you think is worth more? Like, you know, uh, uh, as far as publicity is, is concerned, like um, a million ads on Facebook or one appearance on SNL? What do you think is actually uh, more valuable? Yeah, I mean, uh, that question kind of answers itself. Yeah. That empty um, fucking podium, I'll never forget when <laughs> CNN filmed that empty God, fucking Trump so podium crazy. for yeah. half a goddamn hour while, <laughs> while Bernie Sanders had a rally down the street. Ugh. It really, yeah. I mean, it's a way to like uh, create, you know, this Russia monster has been created to distra- to distract from the fact that the entertainment industry, cable news and everybody else made Trump and they gave rise to Trump. You know, fucking, you know, Mika Brzezinski and all these other assholes. They love Trump. They bought him. They brought him on. Jimmy Fallon's ruffling his hair like he's great fun. haha. It's all such good fun until he starts saying really vile shit. And it's like, oops, you know, geez, did we create a monster here? But it's too late at that point. Like you guys fucked up and, and created this mess. And now Russia and everything else has just kind of become this convenient excuse to kind of explain away all our own sins michael to I mean, be like the, michael the to problem. be fair he was saying a bunch of vile shit before they uh pulled back sure. and tried to oh, yeah. go after him Let, yeah, yeah. let's just be let's, let's just be fair to them they were uh shitty from the beginning about it you go ahead 100 i mean like I, I was gonna say that like the big problem why the media can't go after trump for, and the real reasons why he got elected is because they're, like, exactly the same as him. You know what I mean? Like, Donald (laughs) Trump is not really a businessman the same way that, like, Anderson Cooper is not really a newsman. You know what I mean? To, like, break break down this idea of, like, what people are doing uh, uh, on television is not really who they are in real life. Like, you can't really credibly do that when you are also that. You know what I mean? Like, right. you can't go on TV and be like, Donald Trump is not really a businessman when, like, also you're just reading from a teleprompter and you don't know shit about shit. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's really, we, we should be, like, like crystal clear, because you were go- going back earlier, Leslie, about how, like, you've talked to so many different people about how, like, what did Russia actually do? Where's the smoking gun? Where's the proof? You know, where's the evidence of this vast uh, coercion and campaign of, you know, information and influence? And, you know, so w- what do we actually have? Like you said, there's a lot of, oh, this rich guy met with this rich guy. And, you know, there was this person is on the board of this company. And Paul Manafort was taking money for Yanukovych and the Ukrainians. But, like, when we get down to it, the only evidence that has been 
presented to us so far, after a year and a half of hyperventilating over this story, the only evidence we have right now, per the Mueller indictments, is that you have 13 social media shit posters operating out of a warehouse in St. Petersburg, uh, $120,000 in Facebook ads, and 60% of those ads were taken out after the 2016 election. It absolutely takes conspiracy theory thinking to believe those, that that swung an election, a billion dollar election. It's just silly. The uptick in those ad buys almost makes it look like the Russians heard this conspiracy theory and decided to give it a shot. A little bit. <laughs> it's like they, we were, they were saying like they were buying all these things and they're like, ah, let's try it. Let's see if they, that got, they, got, they got marketing assholes over there too, watching the SEO charts. And they're like, oh, geez, a lot of search <laughs> queries around this term. Maybe we ought to look into buying some ads. Which is really, you know, uh, all the, you know, when you talk about these 13 trolls, like this is 13 Ian Miles Chongs in Russia. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if they take down democracy, I don't know. Like, they, they, if they did, then democracy needs fixing. You know what I mean? Like we need to like, uh, look at, you know, the, the way this whole thing works. Yeah. Um, and I think the, so like the reason, yeah, is, is democracy even worth saving now? You know, like that's like, if this, you know, this tottering fallen empire that their main exports now are like STDs and crocodile, like if this, <laughs> if they were able to topple the mighty United States, then like how fucking great were we all along? Um, but so like the larger point here, and this is, I think, you know, why I'm glad to like come on and talk with you. And like, I want to challenge your audience and everybody listening to like, think about this stuff is that this narrative of Russian meddling, like we're kind of, some of us might think like, oh, I don't really see what's there, but it's going to bring down Trump. So, you know, like let's, this, this is cool. Like uh, even like my beloved democracy now, it bums me out so much, but even they have just started joining up on the chase and just reporting all the exciting uh, Russian conspiracy news because I guess, yeah, you know, they don't like Trump either and they're hoping it'll bring him down. But this narrative is going to be turned against us. It's going to be turned against leftists. It's going to be turned against progressives. And we're already seeing it happen, like right now in front of our eyes, that fucking troll Dylan Byers looking like IRL Dr. Steve Rule, like he is going on. CNN talking about, oh, see, they were taking out ads for Black Lives Matter and they were taking out mm. these Bernie Sanders ads. You see, like, there's nothing actually going on here. It's just literally repeating talking points from the KKK from yes. the 1950s. The Jill like, Stein, oh, the, the, the rage towards Jill Stein is something that, like, people I know have and baffles me to the core. Uh, because, and Susan Sarandon as well, they're treated like they're, you know, somehow in it with Putin because they, uh, they did not jump on the Hillary bandwagon. It all—it always boils down to not supporting Hillary. Mm -hmm. I will say that Jill Stein or uh, uh, Susan Sarandon's sole vote in California um, was was definitely very important for the presidential election <laughs> in California. But yeah, it, it, it's always going to get turned like against the left. Like I, we can't play the same game that the right wingers do will always lose because they have no morals they will turn it against all these resistance folks if they can like they they already did it like i'm sure a lot of the people who were big into the russia thing also supported black lives matter well now mm -hmm. it's being used to discredit black lives matter it's used to discredit the ferguson protests and you know the right wing doesn't care and and they'll use it and they can say they hate trump and they hate russia and they hate uh the uh Ferguson protesters and Black Lives Matter all at once. They don't care. They don't care about any contradictions. Like we always think that we can own them with their own logic, but they have no internal logic. They just want to win. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, winning at all costs, no matter uh, 
how many people suffer. That sounds very Putin-esque of them. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so, a, a little bit. So you, you lived in Russia for a year. I kind of want to talk about this. Like, so Putin has, be, has been gone in America from being, like, you know, the reformist guy who we can work with yes. to this terrible, villainous, all-encompassing monster to this you know, comedic figure if we can make homophobic jokes about it. And so <laughs> which which of these Putins is real? You were infected um, by the man. Let, let us know. The, yeah, the real the real Putin is is you know the the fictitious James Bond villain that we've created. They gladly accept that role because it gives them legitimacy. Like, and th- and this is what I saw happen. You know, like with um, I, I was there in 2012 for the for Pussy Riot's show trial at the at the Komovniki District Court, and I saw how like there was this massive outpouring of Western support because obviously it was a travesty of justice. You know, like you had just had this totally crooked election in Russia in 2012. Uh, you know, it was obviously like. You know, the, the finger was on the scale and ballots were being stuffed for Putin. And so Pussy Riot was protesting in part against that and against, you know, this intertwining of the Russian Orthodox Church and Putin's government. Um, you know, obviously a very righteous protest. And, you know, they got locked up and put on a show trial and there was this immense outpouring of support in the West for them. And Putin was able to take that and point to it and say, aha, see, look, this is a Western meddling campaign. This is Western foreign influence, CIA attempting to meddle in Russia's That's domestic so politics. <laughs> and they really be- and the domestic Russian audience believed it because, it. you know, yeah, because we have meddled for so long in them and their neighbors. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, that does sound like something the West would do. Uh, so I was going to say, to answer your question, like, who is the real Putin? Like, the real Putin is living rent-free in our heads. Like, he's just <laughs> another fucking corrupt oligarch who, you know, managed to get in the commander's chair at the right time, and now he's holding on to it for a little bit. And in another couple of years, you know, he'll probably be deposed, and there'll be another rich asshole businessman who's going to take his place. Like, they are only too happy for us to think of them as, you know, these Bond villains masterminding evil schemes, because it makes them look legitimate, both on the international stage and in the eyes of the domestic audience, because he can say, you know, look how much the West hates hates me and hates Russians, but right. I'm protecting this country, keeping us strong. You know, that was his slogan in the most recent election. Uh, you know, strong president, strong Russia. I was just going to say, like, if Putin can't rig elections in Russia without everybody protesting and knowing it's bullshit, I don't think he can get away with it in the United States. Exactly. Have you seen the uh, the Jeff Goldblum uh, TV movie Spinning Boris by any chance? No. It What's came, that? It came I haven't out- caught it either. Oh, it's a, it was a TV movie, basically. Boris Yeltsin, uh, at the end of his first term, was insanely, insanely unpopular. And so a group of Republican and Democratic strategists were hired by his government to spin his reelection campaign, and they succeeded wildly. I think it's really uh, important that we make it clear to that any, any liberal fucking jackass who's listening to this and trying to, trying to paint that any of us here are sympathetic to Putin, we're not. We're just trying to stop a, another pointless war. Well, no, no, I want to be clear. I, I stand by Putin because he <laughs> stands Legitimate. by Fedor Emelianenko, yeah. the greatest MMA fighter of all time. So as long as you stand, <laughs> if you're good with Fedor, I'm good with you. All right. So I, I we do stand with Putin, actually. I, I, I uh, 
I don't want to say anything bad about Putin, mostly because he signs, <laughs> he signs my checks. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, you know, like I, I should, I should make that hundred percent clear. Like, I no, nothing I've said should be read as like a defense of some of what Russians Russia has done or how highly illiberal and you know authoritarian the country is. Like, yeah, the country is fucked up and has its own problems. Yes. I saw them myself when I was there. You know, but just because. Uh, you know, Russia might not be uh, our good friend right now. That doesn't give us license to, like, revive the Cold War because, as, as I said at the start, like, this shit could have some very serious consequences. What are those consequences? Because this is never talked about. So let's say we start fucking with Russia. We start um, bombing their their uh, guys in Syria. We start putting on brutal sanctions that really have an effect on the populace. If we do all the shit that we always do to other countries that don't have nuclear weapons, then what do you think um, could potentially happen? I mean, you only need to, they just moved the, the doomsday clock. We're at two minutes to midnight, fellas. You know, the US and Russia have both announced recently that we're, you know, re let's reverse the, these decades of work towards nonproliferation and disarmament. We're going to start ex expanding our nuclear arsenals again. We've now got, you know, mini nukes, tactical nukes, whatever the fucking name is, you know, for that monstrosity. Like, you've now got mini nukes that are going to be authorized for use in, like, smaller skirmishes and local battlefield operations. Like, this, you know, we're both... So, like, let's just take uh, as example, let's not, not even Syria, the, the most glaring example of, like, where a proxy war might be going on. Let's look at Eastern Europe. Like, what's going on in Ukraine right now? Right now? Uh, Russia is funding breakaway separatists in the eastern part of the country because they want to, you know, reclaim this land that has kind of always been seen as, like, traditionally Russian because Ukraine and Russia are, like, not, not exactly one country, but they've always been, like, tied at the hip for the last, like, 1,500 years. Uh, and so you've got Russia supporting one side, and the U.S. is now, you know, we're giving ballistic missiles to fucking Poland. We're funding actual Nazis, like serious, like vile right-wing Nazis in the Ukraine as like a counterforce to, you know, Putin's influence in the east of the country. So it's it's not hard to imagine that like, ooh, you know, we get a little skirmish, a little dust-up going, Poland gets sucked in. Now all of a sudden, oops, you know, are we going to honor our NATO commitments? Like, this shit can spiral out of control very quickly, and with all these advances in nuclear weapons, we've seen, you know, over the past 20 years, like, uh, I, you know, I think this it's a very frightening time to be alive. And I think we're all constantly like bombarded with, you know, scandals and horror and news and the latest whatever that like, we don't actually think about the fact that like, uh, things are getting kind of dicey right now. So I, I, you mentioned NATO, and that's something I want to bring up because the, people always talk about NATO in this very abstract way. And it wasn't brought, and like my whole life, I've heard about NATO. NATO, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? I didn't really realize it until I was listening to Dan Carlin, the host of Hardcore History, who is not by any means a leftist whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But he basically points out that NATO is just like an insane death pact that no one should ever. That, that that should not whatsoever exist. It's basically saying that we have to treat these countries that the United States cannot even find, most Americans cannot find on a map or spell as if they are U.S. soil if Russia invades, right? Yes. And so, yeah. And like, so NATO has come up with Trump's president. It's popped up a couple of times how he, he says, you know, NATO is a bad idea. And then all the liberals say, what are you talking about? They're our allies, blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, actually, he's probably right about that. NATO is probably a bad that, idea. Now, that, that is now, one he of those. Know why he's right, but he is probably <laughs> right. 
it's it's definitely one of those stop clocks being right uh, twice a day things. You know, when Trump says like we should get rid of NATO, even me, I'm like hell yeah, man, do uh-huh. it, like prove it, man. Um, but he said no, the media uh, was the enemy of the American people. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so you know, NATO factors into this conversation. Uh, it's pretty much it, like, how did we get here? Like, why is the tension so bad? What started it? Um, it's fucking NATO. Yeah. Because, you know, so for our listeners who might not know, uh, NATO was a pact formed between its North Atlantic Treaty Organization is what the acronym stands for. And it's a pact between basically European nations and the U.S., uh, a mutual defense pact, you know, against Soviet aggression and, you know, it was supposed to be a counterweight to the Soviet uh, military influence wherever. Uh, when the Cold War ended, you know, there was a conversation that like, hey, you know, OK, the main reason that this force exists no longer, you know, it's not around anymore. So should we get rid of NATO? And I think that that was a moment when there was a real chance to kind of set history on a different course. But there, there was just no way the arms industry was going to let that happen. So NATO did not disband after the end of the Soviet Union. It, it ramped up and it's, you know, became mightier than ever. And that has been this constant source of tension between Russia and the West because Russia rightfully looks at, you know, Jesus, NATO has 20, 30, 40, 50,000 troops in Europe, like right on our doorstep. They've got bases in Turkey uh, and Central Asia, kind of like ringing the country. You know, we're installing uh, anti-ballistic missile uh, you know, uh, installations, which are basically, you know, meant to be a first strike weapon. We commit a first strike, and then when Russia tries to retaliate, we shoot down, uh, you know, their nukes. Like, that's what those weapons are understood to be. Like, so this, you know, uh, Russia makes, on the political stage, they make a lot of hay out of, like, oh, we're surrounded by these hostile forces. But the thing is, is that they're not wrong. Um, and I think, you know, getting as to why, like, so why did the Russians have it in for Hillary Clinton so much? It's because she, as when she came in, uh, you know, in the, as a Barack Obama's Secretary of State, maybe you guys remember she had that big fucking goofy photo op holding the big reset button. The button that was supposed yeah, to be the like big yeah, Staples we're, button, the Staples button she brought. <laughs> we're resetting our relationship with uh, Russia, and you know we're going to chart a new course now. And Russians believed her. You know, they said, "All right, great, let's you know let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can get a new relationship going with the U.S." But the U.S. was unwilling. I mean, obviously Russia has fucked up too in its own ways. But for our part, you know, we refused to scale back uh, NATO growth. We've refused used to stop putting, you know, anti-ballistic missile installations in Eastern Europe and everywhere else. So Russia looks at that and they're like, all right, you know, I guess the U.S. doesn't want to be friends. Cool. And now we really don't want to be. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> now. I think it's become more clear than ever that we really don't want to be. Uh, and I guess what I wonder is, in the end of all of this is like, is the Facebook ads like, is it going to be worth it when we go to war with Russia? <laughs> like when we have an Oof. actual hot war with Russia? Is what the thirteen mi- miles Ian Miles Chong's did uh, to Hillary Clinton? Is that really going to be worth uh, what happens at the end of all this? The first meme war. I don't know, fellas. That Not phrase the first, makes my but one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird because whenever you ask uh, one of the resistance this question, they always revert to like the David from. Thomas Friedman chauvinistic language, where it's like don't forget Rob Reiner. Yeah, where you know, (laughs) well, they fucked with us. They messed with our election. Are you going to stand that? Are you going to stand with America? I'm like, uh, I 
think I should stand against the nuclear apocalypse, basically. It's like, Russia, if w- Russia fucked with our election, okay, fine. Um, but that's not worth, you know, nuclear war with. Uh, I- I'm sorry, like, there has to be some kind of cost-benefit analysis. I believe a lot of this is based on the fact that none of these people understand even basic math. Like, they can't compare the numbers, the, how much money was spent <laughs> on these Facebook troll ads versus the billion dollars that Hillary Clinton spent. They can't understand that these minuscule amount of votes they might influence might not be worth, oh, a hundred million dead people like they just mm-hmm. can't like parse this in their head that's like and even at the the like less you know bad outcome like if if you if if you think that there should just be like severe sanctions put on russia like everybody is uh, uh was so upset at trump for not doing the sanctions as they said they were going and bernie to too it. for voting against them yeah and it is, and it yeah. is ultimately like you know what saying sanctions are ultimately going to hurt like the people of russia so who i guess you'll get the 13 hacker guys with that but that's a real wide swath to hit to punish those 13 people yeah i well it's and it's also in the process you know we're dragging the overton window like so far to the right now you know liberals are just basically republicans now and the republicans have become uh, something else like you you know you've got mainstream com- schmackety yeah. Republicans um, have become the the four chan party is what they actually are, <laughs> and it much. turns out that there is enough political might behind that to to be a real political party. And yeah, Democrats are just Republicans now. Yeah, and unfortunately, like it really you know I don't uh, it, I get I don't know how to feel about like this assertion, but I think a lot of this we can lay unfortunately at Obama's feet because the anti-war movement was gutted yes. under Obama. Like people forget that the anti-war movement was a serious reason behind why we got Obama in the first place and why you know Bush was so loathed was because so many Americans were dying, there was so much bloodshed and a, so much atrocity going on overseas that like people were really sick of it and fed up. And you know one of the reasons Obama won was. Because because he said, hey, we're going to bring our troops home. We're going to close down Guantanamo. We're not going to be the country that we were under George W. Bush. You know, we're going to be the better enlightened shining city on a hill that we know America can be. And a lot of people bought that line. And when he got into office, he totally fucking betrayed the anti-war movement who helped delivered him into helped deliver the election and the result of which we're seeing play out in front of us right now. Now there is no anti-war movement anymore. There's just the people who want to bomb a little bit and the people who really want to fucking drop the bombs. Every time I read something about Guantanamo Bay and like, and Trump, I'm always like, you know, it doesn't have to be open. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like every time I hear about Guantanamo Bay, it's like, that's Obama's fault every single time. Well, and the Supreme court too. He could have appointed oh, God, that Merrick yeah. Garland dude during the recess, and he picked the most bland, milk toast Republican judge. Yeah, he could have judge. appointed somebody like better, actually, <laughs> if he wanted to. Someone good, actually. He could have appointed Judge Judy. Honestly, I would not be surprised if, if uh, you know, maybe uh, is is uh, what's the judge name? Uh, Mills Lane who did Celebrity Deathmatch. I would not be surprised to see him on the Supreme Court in the next few years. I don't think he was a real judge, though. That doesn't matter. <laughs> you have to be a real judge. No, you actually do not. You do no, not. you don't. You can you can appoint any anyone, right? Well, you don't. You can yeah. just appoint anyone to be a Supreme Court justice, and you know, our, and that's the you know solid, sane government that the Russians ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mills, Mills Lane actually was. Let me uh, <laughs> Nevada District County. Oh judge. wow! <laughs> <laughs> you know, when 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 Trump was a, a candidate, I think Howard Stern said that if he won. 
like he would get made into a Supreme Court justice. And it, it just is a bummer that we didn't get like that version of the Trump presidency. <laughs> You know, guys, I think Supreme Court Justice Hulk Hogan, like, it might be in our future. Oh, hell yeah, especially after... He's he's got a lot of experience, like, with the legal field, really. (laughs) The way he leg-dropped Gawker, I mean, God. Yeah, jeez. Uh, isn't isn't that great that a billionaire can just decide on a whim that like I don't like this outlet anymore? Ta ta, you are gone now. Well, it's now normal now. <laughs> like it's happened yeah, so many true, times. True. Like which billionaire, which outlet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, L.A. Times just got sold to some random bazillionaire who's under investigation for like defrauding share. <laughs> like, <laughs> Holy just, shit! Yeah, there's just I mean, like I mean, Peter Thiel is a if you think about it, he's a pioneer in the art of hijacking. Digital media. Maybe, for... maybe the bigger thing is that people like Peter Thiel shouldn't have been like so vastly rewarded for the things that they did. Maybe yes. like their contribution, and maybe like the bigger problem, like still comes back to Wall Street and this like insane venture capital rewarding these people like inordinately so that they're able to do things like. Uh, are you? Are you? Wait, Jack. Are you saying that founding PayPal doesn't entitle you to children's blood? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that being the first guy to be like people should be able to use money on the internet uh, should mean that you should be set forever, no matter what. That shouldn't make you the richest man on the planet. Well, and Peter Th- Peter Thiel is is a great example of like a lot of the excesses that we've been talking about because he is he exemplifies this kind of like dark marriage between finance and yeah. technology because it was you know it was him with his whole like uh, after he left PayPal the fucking what was it the Lord of the Rings uh, Palantir he like, he created this like panoptic system for gathering data and analyzing intelligence right. you know which which later gets adopted by marketing and whoever else like Peter Thiel is one of the architects who gave us you know the modern digital marketing and therefore Donald Trump, like, he's intimately tied into this whole story. And, but Which is not to say, though, that, like, you know, Peter Thiel, like, Peter Thiel is such an easy one to point to, and I think he's, like, you know, for lack of a better reference, like, he's become, like, the Martin Shkreli of uh, yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley, that yeah. they're like, oh, like, it's all Peter Thiel, he's the bad one. It's like, everyone was doing these same kind of, like, that's the whole market of Silicon Valley, is to build right. these kind of information-gathering machines. And, like, Google's so- next. Like, exactly, like, exactly. Like Google is exactly the same kind of engine, and it's like beloved. You know, Silicon Valley was, you know, the good rich people to uh, uh, under like the Obama uh, years. Like they kind of like took on this. Like they're the like progressive billionaires or whatever, and it's just not true. Yeah, uh, more diversity in uh, venture capital is what <laughs> this country needs. Is what we need in this moment. Yeah. Uh, well, we, you know, I joke about that, dude, but, like, I work uh, in, uh, I hear the sound of me cobaining the shotgun into my mouth. I work in technology. <laughs> um, I work in techno- marketing technology. So, like, people actually say that, you know, like, this yeah. is not a joke. Like, we crack jokes about this and we think it's funny. More uh, concentration camp guards of color. Like, we think this is funny, <laughs> but, like, there are people who actually definitely think that way. Yes. And by the way, don't feel bad from going from the journalist pipeline to tech because that's what they're doing. They're hiring. That's, oh, yeah. they, they hire journalists to work for them. I mean, the, the, I was thinking a lot about this revolving door because I know multiple people who started out in journalism and ended up at some, you know, corporate business where they use what they did in journalism to basically make the company money. And that's I don't think these people should feel bad because that's how the system works. You get we, exiled from journalism. You know, at a certain point, we have to be able to make a living and survive and shit. Uh, 
Yeah, man, I'm one of the lucky ones. I get to go in and work for an asshole and be alienated from my labor all day. Like, I, <laughs> and I get I get a middle class wage from that. Like, and right. I'm one of the lucky ones. Hell yeah, thumbs yeah. up. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but anything beats fucking CNN, right? I mean, yeah, Ooh, yeah. I mean, that's you know, I, I, oh, this code of silence around like people never want to shit talk their former employers in media, but like I don't ever want to work for that company or, or like a big media <laughs> organization like that ever again. So I don't really care. Yeah, uh, it was probably the worst job I've ever had when I think back. Yeah, from your description, it kind of sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of sounds like RT was run by people who like either didn't know or didn't care about what they were doing that much. Uh, and CNN has this kind of like very modern corporate, like anal retentive kind of feeling to it. Yeah, very buttoned down, very, very buttoned down. Um, didn't want to think of itself as buttoned down, of course, but was absolutely filled with, yeah, you know, the most venal social climbers and corporate glad handers mm-hmm. and all that, all that nonsense. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, it wasn't that they didn't know what they were doing at RT, but I think, you know, another thing your audience ought to keep in mind is that RT is very new. They've only been around since like the mid 2000s. And part of the reason they were created was because Russia basically threw the Russian government threw a bunch of money at, you know, uh, international promotion and publicity. How do we make Russia look like a modern player on the world stage? Well, we produce language in English because all the major countries do this. You know, China does it. India does it. So Russia's going to do it, too. And this is going to prove that we're a player on the global stage. And that's, you know, that more than anything else is probably the reason that uh, a channel like RT exists is to make Russia look good. All right, Michael. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. This has been a very good episode. Where can people find you if not on social media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really great talking with you guys. Um, I am, as I've said, I'm a bit of a social media refusenik, but I am on YouTube. You know, you got to yeah, you got to go where the people are. So if I got to pivot to video, then God damn it, you know, I'll put the worms in my brain and join everybody else. So you can find me at uh, youtube.com slash C slash Michael Saba, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-A-B-A. Uh, and, you know, if you enjoyed this talk, but you want it in an easily digestible 15 minute video format, hey, I got you covered. Wow. It's good that you didn't say that at the start of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, all right, get, yeah, get out of here, asshole. Yeah. Every single day, starting up this thoughts makes me feel alright. On the other time, let's forget that boss, let's forget that boss, let's forget that boss, let's forget that boss. Our life is just away, away, away from here. The rest may shine so dancing, dancing in the air to find home and through. Don't be afraid of.
Have you seen this? Is the world's only film podcast. Get your can of Crisco, because we're just going to slide right into it. I saw things to do in Denver when you're dead. Oh, God, I saw that one, too. <laughs> Today, we're fucking with Ayn Rand. That's right, you old dead bitch. We're coming for you. I have always been fascinated by shitty garbage movies. In some ways, I find them more entertaining to watch than good movies. <laughs> you should do a podcast about that. <laughs> Have You Seen This is on SoundCloud and iTunes. Follow us at HYSTpod on Twitter. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.